And welcome back to America. Can we talk into the uh, second hour, first five? I tried to cruise to the news in this segment of the show, and I get to as many stories as I can just to give a flavor of stories I don't have time to talk about. But back in the first hour, I was mentioning socialism and how, you know, what are we going to do if you have, if you got a majority of Congress that was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, happy to vote for policies that take away your money to give other people free stuff, which is socialism. At least she admits it. She's more honest than most Democrats who would vote the kind of way she would. They just know that socialism is a bad word to say. I'll remind you of two kind of words of wisdom, of voices of wisdom from our past. Uh, Alexand- um, Alexis de Tocqueville um, had, and the, I couldn't find the exact quote, and, and if, even if he didn't say it, this concept has been discussed many times throughout history, was essentially um, America as a free country, as a free market country, and a, a, a democratic republic will last until the people figure out that they can, they can um, vote money from the U.S. Treasury or that candidates can decide they can get elected by promising to take other people's money. A precise quote, Alexander Fraser uh, Teitler quoted, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the people discover they can vote themselves largesse out of the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidate promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that democracy always collapses over over a loose fiscal policy to be followed by dictatorship. Ocasio made, in that one interview we played in the first hour, she uh, made some reference, or one of the people in the man in the street, I think it was, just said, well, people won't mind. Yeah, they will, actually. They will. People in America have a sense of fairness about you pay taxes to provide for the common good, the common defense, air traffic safety, things that are you, you can't individually do or can't as a state do. If you start to think you work hard and you're going to send money to Washington, pretty much most of what you have to Washington so they can use it to spread it around to people who don't work as hard as you do, aren't as successful as you do, uh, no, this will not fly in America. I don't know how it's going to be stopped, but it's not going to fly in America. Okay, second thing is there was a, as a cruise for the news item, there was an announcement uh, this past week or a couple weeks ago that some of the Western liberal states are banning straw uh, plastic straws, like, you know, the kind you get in your drink, plastic straws are being banned. And so Matt Walsh had a very funny column called Quit the Hysterics. America is responsible for almost none of the plastic in the ocean. A few little tidbits in case your friends are feeling morally superior because they don't like plastic straws anymore. Um, for, as one example, um, the, the research, by the way, that had, that had 50 million straws as, as, a, as a daily 50 million straws in the ocean is a daily statistic. Just to be clear, this was research by a nine-year-old. I'm not being facetious. A nine-year-old. There's no factual basis for that idiocy. 60% of the plastic in the ocean comes from five Asian countries, China, Indonesia, the Philippines, Vietnam, and Thailand. So 60% comes from them. Speaking of just plastic pollution, Asia and Africa account for 95% of the problem. So America, we don't toss our straws in the ocean. We, so, I mean, the idea we're, gonna, we're all going to be so noble and virtuous and cut back on, on plastic straws, we're not causing a problem in the ocean. It's virtue signaling, left-wing silliness. Okay, I also, well, quick story, New York Times publisher, A.G. Sulzberger, 
visited with President Trump in the White House to make his point that he thought that President Trump's use of the term of the media being enemy of the people might lead to violence. And he was trying to talk to Trump and said, you know, you shouldn't say such harsh things about the media. I have to say, I think for most conservatives, Trump's piling on the media is refreshing. There has been a left-wing bias in media in this country for so long that so many, many Americans are just, you know, they don't maybe like every word the way Trump says it. They think he shouldn't say certain things. But fake news, that concept of fake news caught on, and it was a good thing for America. Many Americans are sick of the way the media continues to treat almost every issue, every Republican politician as suspect. If there's a way to characterize the left-wing view as correct, the right-wing view is wrong, it's always done. New York Times, biggest culprit of all. So I'm not, I don't think Salzberger probably convinced President Trump too awfully much. Okay, another one mentioned, it, actually in Italy, turning to Italy, which I love, but Italy has recently decided um, that they are not going to any longer take, um, accept refugees coming from, largely Islamic refugees coming into their borders. They've been overwhelmed. They've run into crime problems and other challenges in their country because Islamic refugees coming to Italy don't really want to assimilate to Italian culture. They want everyone in Italy to assimilate to their culture. So Italy finally said, done, no more Islamic, no more refugees uh, offloading on our shores. There was an Italian bishop. I'm going to say he is, I did realize, a retired bishop because otherwise I think they'd probably excommunicate him. An Italian bishop, former bishop, named Raphael Nagaro, he was the former bishop of, of Caserta, I don't know how to say it, actually had a statement in the media that he would happily turn the Christian churches of Italy into mosques in order to save the migrants. He actually said that. He was appalled. He said that Jesus came to the world. I can't find his quote quickly enough. There are politicians in their speeches continuing to preach of deportations and not and the crown and the rosary are here. Um, taking the na- They're taking the name of God in vain. He basically said Jesus came for all people, not for Christianity. I can't even believe he's a Catholic bishop. Mind-blowing. Debbie George asked, American Can We Talk? Come right back. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. 
Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, Go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out centerforsecuritypolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's centerforsecuritypolicy.org. Don't you just love our music? I say it almost every week. I also want to take, before I launch into my next story about the, and first of all, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is American Kimmy Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love, I, I feel blessed by the opportunity to speak with you each week on Sunday evenings, 6 to 8 Central Time here on American Kimmy Talk. If you're watching on Facebook Live, thank you for doing that. I love having you there too. I want to encourage you also to check out our YouTube channel which is also America Can We Talk, and put my name in the search bar, Debbie Georgiatis, and you'll find it there, too. We have our old shows on. We have our old interviews. We have our first fives. It's a great place to go and kind of catch up on what I try to do. You know, the entire purpose of this show is, I mean, I'm a lawyer by background. I, um, I just, I, I do this show utterly out of passion for America, 
wanting to make the arguments to preserve the most extraordinary, exceptional country on the planet, to urge people to think about politics, not in terms of the day-to-day battles, the day-to-day discussion about who's a better candidate, who's better looking, who do you like better, but really vote at every level of government to preserve liberty, the extraordinary gift our founders gave us. I also want to take this moment to thank the sponsor of our show. America Community Talk is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry. Couldn't do the show without them. And I urge you, everyone listening, to be the patriot in your circle, wherever you are in the world communicating, be the patriot who speaks up for the ideas of America. Okay, so we have midterm elections coming, and I wanted to mention something that's been just um, kind of under the surface being discussed, which is that it is really only fair in these midterms that the somehow that Hillary Clinton should have been president, that Donald Trump stole the election from her. And this is, again, one of those left-wing things. It doesn't matter that there aren't any facts to back that up. There are no facts. There have been after $18 million spent by the Mueller investigation, uh, your taxpayer dollars spent, there has been zero evidence emerged that Donald Trump colluded with the Russians to win this election. There's simply no basis. It's just something to say for Hillary to say, Hillary Clinton to say, because she disappointed she lost. But there's been a lot of talk about, you know, do this one for Hillary, come out for Hillary, 28 midterms, stand up. She deserved to be president. I'm going to tell you why Hillary, um, for, I'm going to mention, uh, tell you why Hillary didn't win, which is not because of the Russians. There's uh, a lot of reasons I'm going to share with you. Uh, first, I want you just to hear, this is a little, little clip from Hillary. This is a good reminder why Hillary did not win. Why aren't I 50 points ahead, you might ask? Okay, because no one wanted to listen to that voice for four years. That'd be one reason. On a more serious level, and I am serious by that, she was astonished that the polls didn't show her just clobbering Trump. I mean, there are substantive policy reasons, like America was tired of the Obama-era disdain for the the virtues and greatness of America, tired of the Obama-era, you know, destruction of the American military, not funding them. Uh, the whole notion of, of America was just degraded in the world's eyes. It was, a, it was an Obama trying to say there's nothing special or great about America, there, that he could not stand the idea of secure borders because he loved bringing more and more people in who he could eventually um, not assimilate but bring in to become future Democrat voters. I mean, the Obama era was filled with proof that the guy did not love the unique greatness of America. In fact, one particular thing I was thinking about in the way um, here tonight was I remember back when the um, Constitution, he was interviewed about the Constitution years ago, long before he was even an Illinois state senator. And President Obama, then Citizen Obama, made this statement that the American Constitution was a charter of negative liberties. I should dig that up and play it sometime, but he made that comment. What he was lamenting was he loves big government control over society. He wants to be the master big government socialist, taking in money from the taxpayers, shifting it around the way he thought it should be, creating a powerful government, controlling industries, controlling Americans' lives, and the Constitution, doggone it, got in his way. The Constitution was intended to have a limited, small federal government. We have right now in Washington, it's way beyond what the founders planned, way beyond what they planned. But still, it was intended 
to be a limited government. And this was what Obama was lamenting. So you get around to Hillary, the 2016 presidential election, America watched eight years of the destruction of the American economy, the radical increase in the number of people relying on the federal government, the dependency program soared, the um, economy was a mess, unemployment was high, all these bad numbers. It's because President Obama and his would-be successor, not President Hillary Clinton, believed in government-controlled society. What President Trump has brought America is proof that freedom works, the free markets work. But I digress. Back to the 2018 midterms, Hillary Clinton didn't win, not because of Russia. She didn't win because she's unlikable. That, that clip alone, you just kind of cringe, your, your ears kind of grate. Uh, she had endless episodes of appearing to be ill, stumbling, fainting, looking unhealthy, falling, I mean, people just honestly, whether it wasn't, they didn't wish her ill. They just thought based on her appearance, she probably was. When you ask many people who are her supporters, what are her accomplishments? Yeah, that's what you get. They couldn't think of any. Honest to to goodness. Yes, she managed to be appointed secretary of state, but the world was a mess when she was done. And people saw that she actually didn't accomplish anything. People were troubled by the email scandal. Not because she didn't push the right button on her keyboard and choose the correct email um, server. It's because she set up a server in her home to circumvent the protection provided for State Department when she was Secretary of State. The protection provided by the federal government to uh, protect America's military secrets, our economic secrets, our confidential government communications, our classified communications. There was protection built into the system in Washington that Hillary Clinton surreptitiously, intentionally, and blatantly refused to use and instead had a server unprotected at her home and ended up endangering national security secrets. And she had baggage out the wazoo. I mean, I during the election cycle, I went through so many of the past scandals that Hillary somehow got the world to move along from, but... What I want to get to, honestly, about the midterms is that this is not a time that we should be trying to vindicate Hillary. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you something else about the midterms. There was a lot of talk back in the 2016 election cycle that, you know, Hillary really won anyway because she won the popular vote. Okay. She won the popular vote, meaning how many people voted for her. But we have a system in this country, the Electoral College, which President Trump handily won. But I want to point out one thing that President Trump has done that will change that in the, in, in the next election cycle. President Trump put in place that the census will not count people who are not citizens. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote because California. If you take California out of the national vote, Trump won the popular vote. California put Hillary over the top of the popular vote. Fact one, it was California. Fact two, because California counted illegal aliens in their census, it gave them, because they do that, and the way what the census does is it reorganizes the number of U.S. House seats that various states get to have. They, they basically have a formula, the number of citizens per member of Congress. So if your citizenship grows, the number of people you send to Congress grows. So California 
got nine additional members of has nine members of Congress represented by the population calculation that includes illegal aliens or put the other way, because California can't count illegal aliens anymore in the census, they may lose up to nine U.S. House seats, which translates into electoral college votes. So this idea that Hillary needs to be vindicated, Hillary didn't win because the people couldn't stand her because she had a lot of baggage, but because the whole system was rigged to let California count people who aren't citizens or illegal aliens who were going to, if anything, uh, participate in the process at all. California would like to let them vote 100% of the way, but they that the presence of the illegal aliens and the whole idea of an insecure border, letting anyone who comes who stay here, protecting them, building sanctuary cities, letting them live in, in our society with no legal right to be here, a left-wing value in their view actually gave California more members of the U.S. House and therefore more power than they should have had in Congress and more electoral college votes. So we don't have to be feeling sorry for Hillary. We have to be glad in this election cycle in 2018 uh, that we're going to have the opportunity to either perpetuate the economic success of the Trump agenda or remind ourselves how badly off track America was after the end of eight years of President Obama. Remind ourselves of the, as I said at the start of the show, the economy in California is a mess. If you care about illegal aliens, if you care about Latina uh, legal um, uh, Americans, legal uh, people who have Latina background or Hispanic, any of those folks, you care about them, you got to vote for the policies. Don't vote for the policies that, that have been proven ineffective in California. I'm Debbie George Ass. America, can we talk? Come right back. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. 
Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. And welcome back to America. Can we talk? I hope every time you hear that music, it just makes you smile. This is Krista Branch. Can you hear us now? It's basically all of her music is so patriotic. Her husband writes the lyrics and the and the uh, music, and she sings it. And it's always about you know it's it's not just patriotic, but it's about inspiring individual Americans to feel like we we do our part in preserving and standing up for patriotism in America. And um, so I, I love the music. It just perfectly fits the theme of my show, which is to preserve the extraordinary, exceptional idea that is America. I meant to mention the last segment, I forgot, that on Wednesdays, every Wednesday, I do a podcast. So if you're listening to this on radio, I will tell you that you can go to the Facebook page for my radio show. The Facebook page is called America Can We Talk? I do the podcast on Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Central Time, and I just kind of dive deep in one issue, maybe two or three issues, but dive a little deeper and talk about them. And as I say, I try to do this show, just talk about America's greatness, but also to inspire you to realize that you have more influence than you think in spreading the message of the greatness and the uniqueness of America and the, and the sacred obligation, responsibility, and honestly, goodness, blessing we each have as Americans to do our part in every generation to preserve it. Last week on the show, we had on Senator John Antal, uh, Senator, sorry, Colonel John Antal, who uh, was a, a military guy for 30 years, has written books. The one we talked about last, last week on the show was called Seven Leadership Lessons. I don't have it with me. I'm 
believe it's seven leadership lessons from the the American Revolution. But he basically goes through talking about what the extraordinary, extraordinary um, bravery and sacrifice by all of the people involved in getting the revolution, American Revolutionary War going and, and getting the people organized and understanding our rights as to liberty, uh, the, the actual fight of the Revolutionary War, the, the battle to get the Declaration of Independence written and to say the right things. I mean, our country is, is unique in all the world because it's founded on those great ideas and it's incumbent on every generation to try to protect them. Okay, so I want to talk about a really cool thing that happened in Washington this past week. Um, there is a, there, first of all, there's, there's a mission out there that I love. I post things about this myself. It's an international effort, but it's pretty much here in America, based in America, called SaveThePersecutedChristians.org. SaveThePersecutedChristians.org. There was a meeting last week um, at the State Department hosted by Secretary, um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Secretary uh, Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Coolest darn idea in the State Department to talk about this idea of saving the persecuted Christians around the world. And if you, and you know, I don't even know if you know this, I know I've mentioned it in my show before, but I've, and I mentioned it on our Facebook page that there are 215 million American, million people around the world, not Americans, 215 people around the world facing severe persecution just for being Christian. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling. You'd think we were talking about the, you know, during the Crusades, during the, you know, some horrible time in, in history, or maybe just talking about a, a tiny number of countries. We're talking around the world, astonishing, brutal persecution of Christians. And I try to do segments sometime on my show talking about the goodness of America. This is a great example. The Secretary of State has a lot of things on his plate. I mean, you know, he's got a lot of issues in the world, a lot of concerns that we face as a country, concerns he's got to be coming up with policies and people and ideas. I mean, he's got a big job. But he took time to get this discussion started, to save the persecuted Christians, to help raise awareness. So I love that, that he did that. This is a America's a good and noble country example. And sometimes, you know, we... I don't know, we forget that, we don't, or we, you know, we just kind of, we, we grew up here, so we, we, of course we're a great country. America is an extraordinary country. And this mission is an extraordinary kind of thing that it takes a culture like America's culture. I'm not saying other countries don't help, but the culture of America, the Judeo-Christian, love your neighbor, stand up for the persecuted kind of people, uh, just, just, you know, culture that America has had since its founding gives rise to things like this. So we, uh, one person who is there, and I want to mention briefly, has been very central in trying to raise awareness, is my good friend Frank Gaffney. He is the founder of the Center for Security Policy, which is focused on protecting America's uh, against many security threats. You know, he's a, he was a young man in the Reagan era. He was in that fight in the Reagan era trying to help protect America from what was then the biggest threat in the world, which was the expansion of communism. And Frank Gaffney just did a you know great job at that time. Not just, he did a great job helping to identify the ways in which you can fight an evil you're facing. It's not just 
send the mil- send the troops over, drop bombs in the sky. But there's a there are just a just a wide variety of ways when you're really focused on it to for America to fight against bad ideas like communism. Today, the Center for Security Policy is about fighting the biggest uh, military and just systemic existential threat to America, which is a threat from radical Islam. So, but he's gotten off on this. He was part of this effort um, at the State Department to talk about Save the Persecuted Christians. And I put up at my website, which is org. I put up a link to the speech that Frank Gaffney gave on, on this Save the Persecuted Christians idea. He gave this speech actually in March of this year, and I think I talked about the week he did it, but it was really a wonderful speech. And again, it's at our website, org. Frank Gaffney is called to save the persecuted Christians. A speech he gave um, at the uh, um, is, it was an Abraham Lincoln address. He was invited to give um, in New York City, and it was at the Queens Village Republican Club. A very profound, you know, laying out of the idea that the the, the depth of suffering of Christians around the world, uh, and the notion that we Americans have a job not just to keep our own country safe but to speak up for persecuted people around the world. I'm going to give you two examples of what these are of just, as I say, 215 million people around the world facing severe, brutal Christian persecution, persecution because they are Christians. Uh, one example I wanted to give you um, has to do with the country of Turkey. If you don't realize, you know, Turkey has, you know, we had been an ally of America. It's, you know, Kind of, you know, it's obviously got Islamic roots, but it had a kind of a Western feel. It is falling, is falling downward and backward and, 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 you know, off the cliff into more radical Islamic society. Again, horrible for people living in Turkey, horrible for the free world. But in any case, in Turkey, um, actually, I will tell you, President Trump this past week um, issued a, a, a statement relating to, and you know, Turkey, by the way, is in NATO. So he, but President Trump issued a statement to NATO ally Turkey this past week and Wednesday evening, essentially urging this Turkish court um, to re- uh, to release a, an, an American pastor, an American pastor named Andrew Brunson, B-R-U-N-S-O-M, and who is imprisoned in the country, an American pastor, on terrorism charges, which is, of course, you know, absurd. The guy is a pastor. But uh, in Trump, in his usual very direct style, he describes a total disgrace that Turkey will not release a respected U.S. pastor from prison. He's been held for hostage far too long. Erdogan, and that is how you pronounce the president of Turkey's name, E-R, <clears throat> is spelled E-R-D-O-G-A-N, Erdogan, should do something to free this wonderful Christian husband and father. He's done nothing wrong. His family needs him. Brunson's a 50-year-old evangelical Presbyterian missionary arrested in Turkey in 2016 still held. And so he's just one very public example. He's an American citizen, so maybe we're more tuned into that. But it's good to understand this is the kind of thing these lawless countries, these countries that have that elevate Islam as a as as part of their law and persecute Christians. I mean I mean the idea that there's in this world we're we're not talking we're not we're not back in the twelve hundreds. We're in twenty eighteen and a country that's part of NATO has arrested and imprisoned for two years a Presbyterian missionary pastor because uh, because they probably don't like him spreading Christianity would be my guess.
But, you know, the, the idea that he's in prison, Trump is trying to get him out. This is a just one case. Another quick case I mentioned is in the country of Iran. Iran is, of course, backsliding into horrible chaos. I mean, the, the mullahs and, and ayatollahs and the, the, the military and uh, government of Iran is just radical Islamic. The people of Islam are agitating for freedom. But all this happened so far as it's causing the Iranian for freedom in many ways. Women don't want to wear burqas. They just arrested this young woman who refused to wear a burqa. She got 10 years in prison for defying them and saying, I'm not wearing the burqa. You know, I, I don't have to. This is 2018. I'm not even Muslim. I don't want to wear it. Doesn't matter. You have to do it. But Iran has also been arresting pastors in their homes, uh, dragging them off out of their homes for holding Christian church services in their own homes. So I say all this to say it's, it's almost impossible to value the freedom America offers uh, as, as much as we should and to recognize it's our job in America to be the one speaking up for freedom. Come back after the break. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, 
fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending fire your support. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I'm so very glad you've tuned in. This is the fastest two hours of my week every single week. Love that you've tuned in. I really, really urge you and encourage you to uh, follow me on Facebook, which is America Can We Talk. If you're not watching on Facebook, you can. If you're just listening, you can watch a show on Facebook Live. Also, go to our YouTube channel, America Can We Talk. Follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. I really think the idea of an informed not just an informed electorate, but an engaged, inspired, energetic electorate who wants if you to be part of the American political conversation. It's vital at all times. It's especially vital in this era as we're watching the country, uh, the leftists in this country embla- embrace socialism as a normal, reasonable, legitimate thing in America and, and just all the many issues facing America, we need that. We need inspired patriots to be a, a wide wake. Okay, I want to take uh, this segment as we getting into the. Um, I know the NFL season isn't quite here yet, but it's coming, and I will tell you. You know, we 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 love sports in our family. I mean, we especially uh, we love the NFL. We love college basketball, college football. We love basketball, college and professional. I mean, so we we love sports. And I know there's been kind of a collective cringing as people have been anticipating the opening of the NFL season. And in part, that's because it kind of the ongoing controversy, uh, the as yet it seems unsettled controversy relating to whether players will stand for the national anthem. And uh, during the off season, the um, the league, I guess, NFL league announced that they had reached the decision that they were just go, going to tell the teams they insist that all the players stand for the national anthem. And then there was a player's response saying, you know, you can't do that or, you know, we'll think of something. It was it was not agreeing that that's what they would do. And I want to just give credit to, I want to just talk about not just the NFL issue, but the whole um, unique bravery it takes to be, to really stand up for something. And I'm particularly talking about the Dallas Cowboys quarterback named Dak Prescott. I'm sure if you're listening to the show, you know, most people know the Dallas Cowboys quarterback because he's famous and he's great. And because and it's the Cowboys, they're kind of America's team, even though I, you know, I think lots of football teams are wonderful. 
Let me say that. Wherever you're listening, I love I love your team too. No, but I mean where the Cowboys are something special. But the Dallas uh, Cowboys cheerleader Dak Prescott issued a statement um, <clears throat> in which he basically said, "I would never protest during the anthem. I don't think that's the time or the venue to do that." The game of football has always brought me such peace. And I think it does the same for a lot of people. A lot of people playing the game, a lot of people watching the game, a lot of people that have any impact of the game. So when you bring such a controversy to the stadium, to the field, to the game, it takes away from that. It takes away from the joy and the love that football brings a lot of people. And then he went on to say, so he's, he's saying he would never have turned his back or taken a knee during the national anthem, that he would always stand to do the patriotic thing, always stand for the anthem. He went on to say, I'm all about making a chance and making a difference. But this whole kneeling and all of that was all just about raising awareness and the fact that we're still talking about social injustice years later I think we've gotten to that point. I think we've proved it. We know about social injustice. So they asked him what his action, this young NFL star, was going to be. He said, I'm up for taking a next step, whatever that step may be, for action. And not just, sorry, I'm shuffling paper there, not just kneeling. And you can count on me if we can find something worth the action to do so that there will be help for it. He knew that he respects his other, the other players' beliefs, but, re, but reiterated for him, it's about action, not a silent protest. If they believe it's going to make a change, it's making a difference, then power to them. But for me, I think it's about taking action. It's not about taking a knee. It's not necessarily about standing. We can find a different place to make our country better. Obviously, as I've said, I'm not naive. I'm very aware of the social injustice we have going on, but I'm about the actions we can do to fix it rather than the silent protest. So that is the Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, yeah, Dallas Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott. Now, I want to kind of segue from that to talk about, you know, I I did a long um, segment. I was invited to be on a panel I don't know when it was, two years ago, I think, um, related to the kneeling controversy, that the NFL players were kneeling um, and just declining to do what is the you know long, traditional, understood thing to do when the national anthem is being played and the flag is there. You stand, you stand you know, erect, and you put your hand over your heart. That's kind of everyone knows what you're supposed to do. And so this protest started. And one thing that I said, and the main point I made in this panel I was on, was that I think that this is the... Um, objection, the, the con- decision by players to kneel, I, I use the expression, it was a major message misfire. And what I meant by that, and I still mean, is there is actually injust- some injustice in this country. It is not a perfect country. There are police incidents that happen between police officers and black civilians that aren't right. There are instances when, or, or just, I mean, I've mentioned many times, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina stood, a, a black Republican senator stood in the floor of the U.S. Senate to describe for America the kinds of things he endures because he's a 
successful black man driving a, a nice car, I guess, in Washington, having police follow him, being pulled over for no reason. He, he has described things that aren't right. So I don't think there's anyone in the country trying to claim that every single action by every single police officer in every interaction is perfect. No one's trying to say that. I think, though, that the what Dak Prescott said here was really profound and really right. It, 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 to me, it gels with my ma- major message misfire, which is it, it, what you do, this, what happened, because the message misfire was that many Americans, especially military veterans, but many Americans took the message of NFL players who earn more in a year than most Americans earn their lifetime, and they took it as a slap or a back of the hand, an insult to all of America, as a complaint or a protest by the players accusing all of America of being racist. And this is not the message that the players say they intended. They say they were just talking about the uh, some incidences. They, they, in fact, the guy who started all, Colin Kaepernick, said, didn't mean all police officers. Most police officers are good. He said he didn't mean um, you know, to insult all police officers at all. He, he just meant the few who he had done things that he didn't think were right or that were reported in the media. So this was the whole problem with the, um, the um, protest as it went along was that there wasn't a clear message. It was taken by many Americans as a, as, a, as a criticism of all of America, that America was being accused as a horribly awful, evil, racist country. And people didn't like that. And they didn't even like the idea that it, that it seemed to be a, a protest against all police officers, since the vast majority of police officers in this country are extraordinarily kind, extraordinarily good they work very hard to not be racist. They work very hard to do their job with dignity and fairness. Most Americans of every background recognize that, that there is an extraordinary goodness in America. And because that extraordinary goodness in America was being insulted, there were plenty of people saying, you know, we just, we're, we're getting mad with this. We're going to stop buying tickets. We're not coming to games. We're going to stop. We're, we're just not going to, not going to honor. We're not going to, you know, keep supporting this sport. If this is the message we're getting from the um, NFL. And so this is why the, the owners finally say, you know what? We can't lose money on this guys. You know, we need pe- people to be buying their tickets, buying their season tickets. We need people showing up at games. You just can't do this. And this is really what uh, came to a head. So as this season comes off on um, starting again this fall, I, I, I would love if every American could stand up and just say, look, you know, let's recommit to the idea that we all care about racial injustice. Nobody wants racial injustice. We, we all appreciate that the vast majority of police officers are good people trying to do good things, but that we do have a problem sometimes in interactions between police officers and members of, of the whole, of, of, and everyone, but certainly members of the black community, that we need to try to think of ways to improve that. We need to f- try to find ways to, to try to address that and talk about it. I just think there is, a, there is an extraordinary ability of America, of Americans who care. There's an ability and a, and a calling to stand up 
and and begin talking about problems, not in the accusatory, harsh, you know, overgeneralizing, all police are bad, all of America is bad, you know, or all in, in any kind of broad generalization about any group. Because what you really want to do, what everyone wants to have themselves, is to be treated like an individual, is to be respected for your individual conduct, your actions, your failure to act, your life, your words, and not be treated as a member of some group that you're just, you're judged by the conduct of other people who look like you. I don't want to be judged by other people, who other women, all other women. I don't want to be judged by all other whites. I don't judge other people by everybody else who happens to carry their racial or ethnic um, characteristics. Everyone's entitled to be judged and treated as an individual. And I think that's part of what uh, the, the message that can be very healing in this, in this upcoming season. So, so I will say poor Dak Prescott uh, got piled on big time. Of course, immediately there were left wingers who accused him of being a sellout. I mean, and I would say Larry Elder, one of my favorite, favorite talk show hosts, Larry Elder, um, who also happens to be a black conservative um, spoke about this. He tweeted about it. He said, well, that didn't take long. I mean, just piling on Dak Prescott um, for having spoken up, for having an opinion and daring to express an opinion that didn't consi- didn't wasn't consistent with what he was, what people are assuming that you're supposed to do if you're a black American. You have to salute and support the, uh, you know, the protest. And he just said, I'm not doing that. I think as an individual, this is really what back to the idea of the show, back to the idea of America, is the idea. It's a country based on the freedom of the individual. And God bless Dak Prescott for saying what he said. And I got to roll because I'm out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Come back next week, every Sunday. See you on Wednesday at 3 in the podcast. And speak up for America. America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. To learn more or to contact Debbie, go to AmericaCanWeTalk.org. America Can We Talk. Truth about America. America.